again now. Let's try it. <laughs> no wonder. Can't win for crying out loud. All right, before we get uh, completely involved in tonight's Gollumoffrey, we have a little thing here. And, uh, oh, let's see. Uh, thinking about tires? Well, uh, here's a great suggestion. Think radio. Get your head uh, working in the radio thing. In fact, think dual steel radio from General Tire. We'd like to suggest you stop in at your local General Tire headquarters today because they'll give you all the facts on the dual steel radio. It's the radial tire so strong that it dared the open road on its naked steel belts. Wow. <laughs> anyway, the General Dual Steel Radial Tires have really proven themselves. So if you're looking for radials, you'd look up that big red General Tire G. Just tell them you want the facts on General's Dual Steel Radial Tire. And I suggest that you're going to be glad you did. In good old Perth Amboy, see Carl Villani at General Tire Service, 91 New Brunswick Avenue, Hope Lawn. WOR News is sending an experienced team of political correspondents to Miami Beach to report and analyze all major events at the Republican National Convention inside... And outside. Complete reports from Miami Beach start Monday on WOR. Yeah, oh, listen, uh, I got a thing here. How are you doing on your spitting? Let's see. Yeah, here we've got it. Yeah, yeah, for those of you who have been... Uh, asking this uh, question over and over again. I have a little information for you here. 
Have you ever known a really great spitter? No, I'm, I'll tell you, that's something that's always, always eluded me. I've never been able to master that art. Now, I, knew, I knew a guy named Claude Eaton when I was a kid who could spit between his teeth, a little tiny wad, you know, like that. He just got like that, and a little, like, like a, it was fantastic, like a BB. You know, he was, had tremendous accuracy. Now, I know, a real, I realize, madam, that this is in bad taste. I understand that. So don't bother to send me a letter on purple stationery with green ink telling me that <laughs> it's a terrible taste. That's true, it is. But the life is in bad taste, madam, and we're just going to have to face it. Of course, we assume that yours isn't your life. Of course, it's lived with total elegance. Uh, you don't have any of these problems. But uh, I can remember watching Claude Eaton. I'm standing on the street corner. I was a great hitchhiker. And, you know, when I see hitchhikers out there hitchhiking these days, you know, I, I can't help but feel this little, uh, this little urge uh, to get out there and try my thumb again, you know, get get in action because <laughs> when you think in terms of hitchhiking uh you know it's a it's a it's it's almost like a sport it's a it's exciting yeah the excitement of hitchhiking you never know what you're going to be riding in or what the fantastic adventures you know what what wild scenes are going to develop i i uh, one time i was hitchhiking i, I shouldn't even tell you these stories because uh, i would be uh, in a sense uh, recommending uh, delinquency which I do, in some cases, recommend. Yes, indeed. I, a little delinquency never hurt anybody. I said a little delinquency. Too much is liable to lead you into real problems. You know, like you wind up writing letters to the warden, trying to get <laughs> get another hearing and all that stuff. But we don't want to bring you into that. But I, uh, how I started hitchhiking, you know, with the, let's, let's face it, uh, uh, we, we slipped gradually into the into the roles that we have. We don't step suddenly into them. And uh, I, I started a hitchhike. And the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this, is a kid wrote me a letter, he says, Shepard, uh, uh, you never mentioned, uh, you have it occasionally, he says, but you haven't lately mentioned your, your notable career as a hitchhiker. Well, I have had a notable career as a hitchhiker. And I look back on that career with a great deal of satisfaction. If there was, if there was such a thing as a uh, hitchhiker's hall of fame, I, I, I definitely feel that I would be uh, seriously uh, discussed by the board. Of course, you have to have retired for at least five years. Uh, so I, that, that would let me out because my last hitchhiking, are you aware? My last hitchhiking was done three weeks ago. <laughs> and, uh, it was kind of great. I, I was in Bemidji, Minnesota, and uh, I was walking along this road along the lake there, and it was about a four-mile walk from this uh, place where I was staying to the town and uh, where I was uh, doing this thing. I was teaching at Bemidji State, uh, teaching. I was a part of this writer's conference they had there, seeing, teaching fiction. So I'm walking along the road there in the weeds, and it was hot, and there were dragonflies flying all over. And I suddenly said, what, the, what am I doing this for? So every once in a while, a car would go roaring by, and the wind would kick gravel in my face and stuff. So I started a hitchhike. Well, now, let us face it. Uh, hitchhiking, uh, you have to have a certain air of, about you when you're hitchhiking. If you have a furtive air when you hitchhike, in other words, if you hitchhike with a with a shifty eye, like you're a little nervous about it, you will never get a ride. Uh, and and yet it is a common problem to feel uh, <laughs> to feel a little shifty about hitchhiking. Yeah, you know it's a it's a problem. So I'm out there 
And I stick my thumb out, see? And uh, right away, I see instantly that this lady that is driving this car, it's, the cars would go by once every five, ten minutes on this, this is a country road. So th there's a lady with blue hair driving a first car, see? She gave me this this terrible look like, what, what the, that this, this whole town is getting filled with bums. You know, she makes it, she drives all the way over on the other side of the road <laughs> past me. Well, that was kind of a shot in the head, see? So uh, I, I, I started to walk again, and I hear coming behind me another car, see? So I stick my thumb out before I look, you know, I stick, turn around, stick my thumb out, and sure enough, the guy goes, wow, he stops. Well, it's a pickup truck. And uh, the back of the truck is filled with turkeys. Had about 250 turkeys in, in cages back there. And uh, I climbed up on the, the, the running board, and I get into the front seat there. And boy, I'll tell you, <coughs> I'll tell you, I'm still coughing. Uh, I was, the air was filled with turkey feathers, and that was not all. It was filled with all kinds of, of uh, products of the turkey. And uh, I, <laughs> so was the seat. See, I climbed in. <laughs> and and that's, that's the excitement, see, of hitchhiking. You never know what you're going to run into. Now, I would not ordinarily have the chance to ride in a pickup truck carrying 250 turkeys. So uh, here I am sitting on the front seat, perched in the front seat there. This guy's got a pair of, of coveralls on. You know, he's wearing his uh, engineer's cap, which a lot of those guys wear. Sort of a, you know, there's the denim kind of an engineer's hat, and he with a big thing on the top of it and uh, buttons all over the side like he was a member of the Turkey's Growers Union or whatever it was. And so we're driving along, and the front of his car is just all over. He's got bugs. You never saw a car covered more with bugs. I think this guy must have had bugs going all the way back to, uh, you know, the big bug invasion of uh, 1964. He had bugs all over the front of his car. You couldn't even see out of the windshield. Nothing but dead bugs, see. So I'm sitting there, and we're rolling along the road, and uh, you could smell the uh, turkeys. Oh, boy. And uh, the back of the, wi the the back window was busted right out of this baby. See, so the turkeys are looking right in at you. And these big wooden cages piled up there, and the turkeys are <laughs> you know they make that funny <laughs> you know how turkeys go. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking over there at the turkey. The turkey keeps looking over my shoulder, and the guy says, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going into the college." He said, "What do you do? Go to school there?" I said, "No, hell no." He says, "Well, yeah, well." He said, you know, you might have found girls around that school. He said, yeah, I'll pick up a couple of them. I said, yeah, well, I've been trying. And, and well, we sat there in the front seat of this car with the turkeys roaring. And that, he had bad valves, by the way. I, I almost told him, you know, he had bad tappets there. He was having a problem with a piston slap there. And the second the piston there slapping away, burning oil. So uh, we came roaring down <laughs> the Bemidji Road. And... And I uh, arrived at the campus, see, and all these elegant-looking girls and these uh, elegant-looking college types going to the writers' conference, and they've all got their 10-speed bicycles, you know, Japanese. Now, the, the newest thing on that campus, by the way, is a 10-speed is a, a bicycle from Melee. Have you seen those? Oh, they're elegant. They, uh, they're, yeah, they have Chinese figures written all over them. So, yeah, they do. So they're all riding, you know, they're very, very elegant. Oh, the college kids are very elegant these days. You know, they're all walking around. And right in the middle of the parking lot, I said, I'll take you right in. He drives right into the parking lot with a, you know, turkeys yelling, squirting turkey juice all over the street there, you know. And, and I climb out of the turkey truck. And right into the arms of the dean of the liberal arts college, who had invited me there as a distinguished writer. And there I am covered with turkey glop. And uh, I didn't say anything. I said, uh, 
How are you? This lady's a very nervous kind of lady. She oh, you're a shepherd, right? I said, yes, indeed. Oh, it's very colorful. The vehicle you're riding in, I suggest. Uh, I didn't mention, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, say I was out hitchhiking. You know, admit you're out hitchhiking the weeds out there, you know, and you're teaching the course in fiction. So uh, she said, she was waiting for me to say something about, it, obviously, you know, the turkey. And immediately five, uh, this is a spick and span campus. And uh, you could see right away five uh, janitors came out, and they were swabbing the, 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 the road where my turkey truck had parked for about 30 seconds to let me off. Yeah, turkeys are very busy. They uh, certainly are. They, uh, they're very busy, and I might add that uh, they're uh, prolific. Yes, sir, one turkey must have let go of two or three quarts while I was watching them. So we finally arrive at the, you know, I, I arrive in the campus and walk up the the, uh, the hallway there, and, and the, the class opens. There's 65 kids in the class, see, and they're all sitting there, and it's a very nice class. You can see the lake out there. And, uh, and one of the kids sitting right in the front row, he said to me, he says, say, he said, uh, why don't we open the window here? There's something funny in this room. And I, at first I didn't think anything about it, but then I realized that it was me, you know, me and my turkeys. And uh, so the excitement of hitchhiking, friends, is, is the excitement of the chase, primarily. Uh, it's the excitement of never knowing where you're going to land. <laughs> and, and so during the week I, as I hitchhiked, as I say, I, I uh, hitchhiked all the two weeks I was there. I got a lot of rides, great rides. Uh, one ride, I got the guy picked me up. You want to hear about this one? He was an Indian, Chippewa. And uh, he picked me up, and uh, he was driving a 19... Well, I think it was a 1958 Dodge with a ramjet engine. Terrible car. Just all rusted out on the bottom, you know. It was rolling along, and they had bad kingpins who were shimmying the whole thing. See, had about 19 Indian kids in the back seat, and he picked me up. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going into school. Mm. And I never knew Indians really did grunt. They did. You know, you always hear them grunt. You go, mm. you know. And I said, uh, yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. And so we rolled out in, in dead silence. See, we, we arrived up in front of the campus. He said, uh, uh what do you do there? And I said, I, I'm uh, at the school there. He said, oh, hippie. He slams the door and drives out. <laughs> I was a hippie. So he drives on. <laughs> you know, so you, you get to, yeah, you, it starts to rub off on you. You get this truculent attitude towards life. You hitchhike enough. And uh, one other uh, point I'd like to raise about hitchhiking is that it can be uh, it can be quite a dangerous scene. Uh, not not the way you think either. I mean, not the you know not the because uh, there there is that danger too. You know, getting involved in some bad scene. But but the one time I'll tell you, I got a listen. I got a ride. I was a kid, and I, I hitchhiked to school every day from the time I began in my freshman year to the day I graduated. In fact, I hitchhiked to my graduation. So you can see how many miles I put behind me hitchhiking. I mean, really, was three miles to school, three miles back. Figured out six miles a day. I went to uh, I went to high school. Let's see, uh, six now seven years, or close to seven years. So figured out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Seven years. That was that was after I took that Latin and I flunked for four straight years. But uh, <laughs> finally switched to German and faked it. But I, I, the only reason I got through German is because the German teacher could not speak German. Uh, I could see she was faking it, so we got along fine. You know, it takes a fake to... Sp- that reminds me, this is W.O.R., New York. You need tires? See the tire pros at your local general tire headquarters for all your tire needs. From sports cars to sedans, compacts to king-size cars, 
General Tire makes the tires you need and at prices you can afford. Well, I don't know. How do they know what you can afford? Anyway, choose from rayon cord tires, nylon cord tires, puncture sealing tires, steel bledded radial tires. Now, I presume, and that's a, it says right there, steel bledded radial tires. I guess they mean steel. No, it's a steel bledded radial tires. Hmm. What do you think they mean? Belted? Can't be. And you get your choice of black wall or white wall design. Some even have raised white letters for that sporty look of today. If you're in the market for retreads, your General Tire headquarters has an inventory of retread tires, just like you, at a fraction of the cost of many new tires. And all retreading is done by experts using the craft system, General Tire's time-proven method of tire recapping. You look for the big red General Tire G. It stood for quality for 257 years, it says here. Damn. It says in White Plains, see Bud Monzet or Steve Honig. General Tire Service, 376 Terrytown Road. Bomb, ba -dum, bomb. Give me that little bomb, ba -dum, bomb. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. Very good. That's production, that's called. Production. I'm just curious how the myths begin. How do the myths begin? It says, Shepard, the other night I was listening to another radio station, and they were broadcasting a rebroadcasting of Arch Obler's Lights Out. And I recognized your voice in the cast, Balderdash. That is not true. I never was on Lights Out. In fact, I was a very small child when that show was on. In fact, that show caused, precipitated a lot of trouble in our family. It did, because... Uh, uh, did you ever hear that show? Lights Out was a spooky show they used to have on radio. And when I was a kid, you know, though, you, you really prove your virility and your manhood by listening to Lights Out. Well, I didn't get away with it because it came on late, and you didn't prove your virility or your manhood in my house around 11 o'clock at night. And I can remember yelling and screaming, you know, fantastic fits over that damn show. So uh, I was not on that show. Perished the thought. Although it would have been a great show to be on. You know, uh, you want to hear more hitchhiking stories? Well, I'll tell you, I learned about hitchhiking one day. I was a kid, see. And... Uh, you know, very innocent. You, you learn about life in the subtle, uh, sneaky ways. And, and uh, how I started my career as a hitchhiker began this way. Uh, it's, uh, almost everything stems from filthy lucre, mm -hmm. dough, bucks, money. Uh, that's that's uh, what ultimately proves to be man's uh, usual downfall. Would you agree? Money uh, eventually does it to you in one way or another. That's right. I mean, uh, wouldn't it, can you imagine what kind of a world it would be if they had never invented money? No, no, wait. Now, don't be so quick to say it would be a groovy world. Not necessarily. That's right. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily. I, uh, you know, the first guy that invented money, and there had to be a first. You know, can you imagine what a fantastic moment that was, the first moment? I could just see it, see? Uh, yeah, I can see it. Uh, it, how it happened in the ancient days of the early early dawn of the caveman, when the, you know man had just crept out of the out of the antediluvian mud, he still got the web feet. Yeah, you know a lot of people haven't lost web feet. They claim that there are many people in Jersey still have web feet. And uh, yeah, some of them. Yes, uh, I have a doctor friend. He says you ought to be very exciting sometimes when we have a uh, phys ed day over here when they come in for their physicals they come in out of the swamps and stuff he said they come in from the 
from the Piney Barrens, and they said, uh, you, uh, we've discovered at least three or four people living in the Piney Barrens that still have a vestigial fin that runs down the back of their neck. Actual fin, you know, like a troll. And they said they're light green, so it helps you if you're going to do a lot of swimming underwater, which, by the way, man originally stemmed from, did a lot of swimming, you know. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they claim now that man was not descended from the ape, but actually from a creature somewhat similar to a freshwater clam. Yeah, well, well that's right. That was the first Republican. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, but, uh... <laughs> but the, no, no, I don't make the news, honey. I just report it, so don't get mad at me. No, 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 no. I did not invent uh, evolution. Uh, although I did have a great deal to do with it, I did not invent it. No, no, no. I, I moved the, uh, the whole race ahead a couple of notches. I threw my shoulder to the wheel. But uh, nevertheless, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, everybody has to do his part. And uh, some are driven more than others. But uh, nonetheless, uh, in the very earliest days when man crept out from under the, under the rock that he lived in by the shore of the lake there, and uh, eons went by, and uh, in those gray early days, I'll tell you what, uh, if you get me uh, my Gesangen uh, under Mitterheidenspielen, and the glout mit der Schnusen. Yeah, that's it. Very good. You got in there? All right. We take you back in time now to that ancient day. That day long before recorded history. One of the great turning points in man's evolution. The invention of money. feet tall as they scrunch in the, the opening of the cave, looking out over the ancient lake. You'll notice that they're, they're not clouds as we know today. Clouds were not invented until sometime later. The trees had not yet come into being, and all of the earth was surrounded by a great grayness, a murky grayness, and in front of them, the lake from whence they had climbed millennia before. The one on the left is called Charles. The one on the right, Og. And the two of them sit, just looking. Just looking through dim eyes, barely perceiving the meaning of the universe. And occasionally a great lightning bolt lashes out of the sky. Pow! Pow! <laughs> they grunt in non-comprehension as they see the vast forces of nature at play on the ancient shores of the lake. Another lightning bolt comes roaring down. Pow! <laughs> they scurry back into the cave to the comparative safety of the darkness. They wait while the storm roars by. 
And then after long hours, the one on the right, Charles, creeps forward and peers out at the lake. He is soon joined by Og, and the two of them squat in the murky grayness of time before time, of dawn before dawn, of history before history. Night had not been invented, nor had day yet. The sun did not revolve the way it does now, but went around more or less in a dumbbell-shaped figure around the top of the earth there. So it was not night nor day. It was just merely gray and murky. And finally we hear Charles say to Og, <laughs> their first feeble attempts at speech, a series of short grunts, with a lot of glottal use of the tongue. <laughs> and then Charles inches forward through the mud down to the shore of the lake. He stands in the, in the shallows for a few moments, and then he reaches down. He scoops up a clam. He reaches down and scoops up in his hairy claw another clam, and then another and another. And now he has an arm load of clams. He comes scrunching up through the mud back to the cave. He dumps the clams down on the ground. And then in his dim-minded way, in his left paw he grasps one clam and in his right paw he grasps another and claps them together. Clap! And then... He sucks the succulent clams out from the pearly shells of the ancient bivalve. <laughs> he is being watched by Og, who is having trouble with his left knee. He's had arthritis for some time due to the fact that he tends to drink fermented swamp water. And now he says to Charles, <laughs> which roughly translated means, how about a clam for me? Charles answers him. Get your own damn clams. Poor Og stands rubbing his knee. Also, he's lazy and does not want to go down and get the clams because he's afraid of the big saber-toothed tiger that lives down next to the rock. He then reaches down and picks up a beautiful stone which he has saved because he saw that stone roll down the hill one day, and he thought that it came from a bolt of lightning which struck the top of the hill that morning. <laughs> and in his dim, uncomprehending way, he thought that the stone was a gift of the evil force of the lightning bolt. The god of the forest had hurled a stone at his feet, and hence was giving him a good message, good vibes. And so he picks up the stone and shows it to Charles and goes <laughs> Charles looks at it with great interest and says <laughs> meaning uh, five clams for the stone <laughs> translated means what do you mean you you uh, skin flint I should get at least twelve clams for this stone yeah <laughs> Charles answers, says, me have stone too. Not as big and as beautiful as your stone, but I've got clams. That's what's important here. I say seven clams. How's that? 
Meaning, I'll give you... I'll give you eight. And now the exchange is made. Eight clams change hands. And now Og claps the clams together. And a new concept was born. One man go get clams, other man get beautiful stone. They trade. And so it went in the mystery of the night. That first stone has been lost somewhere out in the great morass of the ancient midden heaps of time. That first piece of money is yet to be discovered. The greatest museum piece of all time. Now, I, I just brought that up there. Hold it there. That's enough. Did you like that little drama? It was kind of exciting, wasn't it? <laughs> right, George. But uh, nevertheless, it is money that does most things to all of us. And uh, on my first day in high school, I, I ch- my whole life changed. You know, I want to point out something that I feel seriously. I, I feel that if you've ever hitchhiked a lot in your life, you will forever vaguely consider yourself vaguely an outsider. That's right. Think about it for a minute. No, I mean hitchhiking regularly. I don't mean just because your car broke down and you hitchhiked. I'm talking about hitchhiking as a way of life. Because you have your choice. Uh, You have your choice. You can ride the bus. That's right. And I remember the first time I hitchhiked, I remember vividly, was my, my second day in high school. The first day in high school, you know, we had this bus. Now, now up to that point, I'd been going to the uh, to the Morton School and the Warren G. Harding School. Now, they were only about two blocks from my house. But when I went to high school, it was about three miles. It's a good long trip. No way you could walk it, you know. No, forget it. It was about three miles. It was in the next town, actually. And uh, so the first day, I rode the school bus. I had a school bus. Everybody got this big yellow bus. And that cost you... Uh, you had to pay for it. Uh, yeah, you had these uh, bus tickets, and uh, you had to pay, I, I don't know, I think it was 15 cents a ticket, something like that, some plastic price like that. But uh, my mother, you know, asked me to go, and I goes out, I buy the bus tickets, and I ride the bus the first day, see? Well, I'm sitting in a bus, and uh, we, go, we go up this, uh, you know, we go up the road there, and I, I look out the road, and I see a whole bunch of guys. I see they're all standing on a street corner. Bus goes right by them. See, I see Claude Eaton, and I see Donald Neff. I see Flick. I see a couple of buddies of mine standing on the street there. And I, don't, you know, I can't figure out what's going on. See, they don't get on the bus. We just ride out of school. Well, later that day, I see Flick at the, you know, down in the gym. And I said, hey, Flick, how did you, how'd you guys get to school? How come you didn't get on the bus? He's bossy. I ride the bus. You're kidding I said, no, I, I, I rode a bus. I, well, how come you went, how'd you get to school? I saw you guys on the street corner on 165th Street. He says, yeah, you don't think we're going to ride a bus, do you? I said, well, how do you get here? He says, hitchhike. I says, hitchhike? What do you mean? You just stick your thumb out and you got to ride? He says, yeah. He says, look, Claudia, we all got here this morning. Not only that, we saved 15 cents each. Oh, ho, oh, oh. Well, the next day, I am on the street corner with Flick, with Claude Eaton. By the way, Eaton led me down many a primrose path. Uh, there's Claude Eaton, yeah. I'll never forget what Claude Eaton turned me on to. It was terrible. I, I mean, Claude Eaton was always one smart-type kid, you know, the, who knows all the dirty stories. He, uh, in, in every group of boys, you take ten boys. I don't know whether girls are like this, but I can tell you this. 
You take ten boys, there's always one or two guys that are about six to eight months ahead in development. And they know all the stuff, you know, they're the guys that know what the words mean that are written all over walls of stuff. <laughs> and uh, Claude Eaton, <laughs> he's about, you know, we're freshman high school, see, and Eaton, Eaton had this pipe. Yeah, he's got a little pipe. And uh, it was a little K-Woody pipe that he, uh, that he got somewhere. And Eaton is smoking his pipe. We're standing out there about the second or third day hitchhiking, smoking his pipe, see. And, and Eaton, uh, it's, you know, they're kind of, it, it attracted you. I don't know why. I mean, what there, what there is about this. It's a little tiny pipe. I still remember. It's a little short one. And he's got this thing loaded up with, uh, with the Prince Albert uh, pipe tobacco. He got it in his can. See, and he packs it in. He's really, really on top of it, you know. Eaton was the, was the totally on top of it kid in our crowd. And the, the gang that I hung around with, Flick and Schwartz and Bruner, you know, we were sort of a satellite group to the Eaton crowd which was one year ahead of us. They were already sophomores in high school. Oh, man, you know, they knew, you know, they knew what the world was about. And they were, they were always saying things to each other, you know, like saying things, uh, like whispering stuff. <laughs> they'd laugh. They'd hit each other, you know, with the elbows and stuff. So uh, we, were, we were always sort of circling around these guys. They were really on top of it. There was, uh, there was Claude Eaton and Lawrence Stryker. That was another one, Johnny Anderson, you know, and, George B.G., you know, these guys really on top of it. Well, and one of them, I remember uh, one of the guys, uh, uh, Neff, Neff was one of them. He had this big letter already. I had big, he had a high school letter, you know, with the stars and stuff all over it. I really on top of it. So on this day, Claude Eaton has this pipe. And uh, I'm with Schwartz and Fleck and Prony, and I says, uh, uh, Hey, uh, Claude, he's a much older type, you know. Hey, Claude, uh, Gee, what kind of tobacco are you smoking in the pipe? You know, ha. It's what do you care, kid? I says, uh, well, uh, gee, it uh, looks, uh, smells good. It's, it smells real good. So I say, here, you want to try it? And he hands me the pipe. Well, I took a couple of drags on his pipe. Now, my only, uh, my only experience with pipes had been blowing bubbles. And so I blew into the pipe, see? <laughs> he said, what, the, what are you doing? Don't blow into it. Suck on it. So, like that. <laughs> you know, and at that point, oh, have you ever inhaled, you know, when you're about 13? I mean, your, your lungs are different, you know, when you're 13. They're made out of tinfoil, you know. They're very, very weak and sensitive. And I inhaled about five gallons of Prince Albert pipe tobacco right down in my gut. And I want to tell you, I mean, and at that point I realized, you know, that there are, there's a big hole grown-up world, and, they, you know, they, they, they drink stuff that tastes funny. And so we're standing on the corner the first day. And now I had to be at school at 8.25. You got the scene? The bus came by at exactly five minutes to eight every morning, and it took about 20 minutes to get to school. You would get there about 8.15 or 8.20, see. Well... It is now 8 o'clock, and you saw that bus go by. Now, you've burned your bridges behind you. That's the bus. Off it goes. So I'm standing on the street corner, say, with, with Flick and Schwartz, Claude Eaton and Neff, and those guys, about 20 of us. We're all standing out there, see, hitchhiking. Well, obviously, no car can pick up 20 kids, see. So, the, no, that's right. There's about 20 of us, a whole line, see. And, and we had a whole, a whole rotation. If you got there early, you stood at the head of the line. If you got there late, you were at the end, see. 
That's they, they had a whole thing worked out. See, so I'm way at the end of the line with Schwartz and Flick. We're out there hitchhiking, and these cars are going by. All these guys going to work. See, ah, they roar by, and every once in a while, a car would stop. And we had a rule that if you were at the end of the line and the car stopped by you, you couldn't get in. But the guys in the front would, you know, come running back and he'd get in the car. You know, well, I'm really starting to worry. See, uh, it is now ten after eight. And about half the crowd has gotten rides, and and we have gotten no nibbles at all. See, no, no nibbles at all. So I'm I'm standing out there hitchhiking like man Schwartz and Flick are hitchhiking. We're a little worried. See, here it is, the first day that I'm hitchhiking. Nothing happens. When all of a sudden along comes this truck, he stops. He just swerves to a stop. You know, an open back truck, big thing with the with the stakes. You know, they that open stake back type truck. He just roars a Smoke is coming out to the floorboards. And he says, all right, let's go, you guys. I ain't got all day. And, uh, with that flick, I was, where are you going? He said, I'm going past the school. Get in. I'm late. And we jump on the back of the truck. So there's about maybe eight or nine of us in the back of this truck. And this guy throws that baby into gear. And we go rolling down this road. He's going about 70 miles an hour. We're hanging on the back of the truck. See, we're wrong. We go over this this railroad crossing. We had millions of railroad crossings. See, boom, 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 crash, boom, bam, boom, 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 bam. And 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 he had he had chunks of concrete in the back of the truck. See, one of them hits Schwartz on the leg. You know, we're yelling, hanging on the back of the truck. I want to tell you, this guy took us to school. I would say it was an average twenty minute drive for the school bus. He took us there. I would say in roughly. Uh, Three to four minutes. Fantastic ride. We go. We went hopping over these railroad tracks. He went up and down two alleys. He took. He was going up and down shortcuts and everything else. We roared up in front of the school, sir. Oh, and he says, "Jump off, you guys! I ain't got time to stop." And so he roars. He slows up. We're jumping off the truck and flying books and everything else. We land in the weeds. Well, there was something about it. Something about it. It turned me on. I loved it. I loved hitchhiking. It was exciting. You know, that not only was it a great ride, but we got to school and it was a dramatic entrance. We arrived at school, you know, <laughs> just about two and a half minutes before the bell and, and, and all the kids were out there in front, you know, we jump off that truck out of there. You know, there's something about it. So I go swaggering into school. And what's more important, I had an extra fifteen cents in my pocket from hitchhiking. Well now I don't know uh what that means to you now at this point, 15 cents, but I'll tell you what it meant to me. It meant that I could get two, well, I could get one and one-half Twinkies. I could get, uh, yes, uh, I could get myself a double-dip ice cream cone. Uh, usually at that time, I, I, you know, you go through circles. No, no, you go through cycles. And all 15 cents it was over at John's. There was a joint across the street, John's, where all the kids hung out. And I would go through cycles. Now, for one thing, John had ice cream cone. You know, dip, double dip ice cream. Now, I went through a period where I would never get anything except the following combinations in the double dip ice cream cone. Pineapple and strawberry. One dip pineapple, one dip strawberry. Now, that's a, now, that's a very subtle combination. Uh, that's a sophisticated combination. You can see I was well on my way to becoming a big timer in New York already. You see, it's a very subtle combination. There was another combination which I found even more subtle and exciting. And uh, incidentally, a very strong aphrodisiac. It's the combination of strawberry, one dip strawberry, and one dip of Dutch chocolate. Yep, don't laugh. Do not laugh until you've tried it. 
doing that laugh. So, you know, this 15 cents was fantastic. I, it, I, I, I would, uh, you know, I would have 15 cents to blow on anything I wanted to blow it on. Plus the fact, you see, that my mother had also given me money to go down to the cafeteria to eat in school, you know? Well, now, that was part of the hitchhiking world. You didn't, you didn't use your money down at the, in the cafeteria. Who goes to the cafeteria? Do you know that in four years in high school, I went to the cafeteria twice? Four years. And once, I was sent there by the principal to get another kid. Well, I had a note. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Well, it was, it was kind of a thing. You didn't do that. The square kids did it, you know? The square kids all went down there and they ate uh, Jell-O, uh, you know, and sat around and ate the cottage cheese and the, and the chicken a la king and stuff like that. Where we would go, we would go across over to John's, you see. And that episode, whole, already my world was dividing into that world. You can see why I live in the village now. It led to this, inevitably. Yeah, the whole thing. That, yeah, that's right. The kids that went in the bus... The kids that went uh, uh, and ate always uh, very dutifully at the uh, school cafeteria and always returned the books they took out of the library and actually took them out and had them stamped, those kids have gone on to become good Republicans. They are they're working. They're in the sales department. Uh, yeah, that's right, you see. <laughs> and all I want to tell you is a connection. So, you know, here I am. I got 15 cents in my pocket right now, and I had... Uh, you, they, they used to sell you a whole lunch, see, for 35 cents down at the cafeteria. So I hit the 35 cents and the 15 cents. Now I got a half a buck, you know. So me and Flick and Schwartz and Claude Eaton, Claude's got his pipe filled up, you know, with Prince Albert. And he's sucking away at his pipe. And where do we go? We go around in the garage back at John's. Well, what do we do in the garage back at John's? Well, I ate my ice cream cone. I ate the, the Twinkies that I bought. At the deli next door to John's, <laughs> you can see a nutritious type lunch that I was having, and I had one of these red candy taffy apples. That was my lunch, and also with the uh, with the fifteen cents I had left over from that, we played. Uh, well, I have to admit I was an inveterate gambler at that point. You, did you ever play toss the nickel? It's a variation of the penny game. It's for big spenders. You know, uh, you throw a penny, and the guy that can get the penny closest to the wall. You bounce it off a wall, and the guy that gets his penny bounces closest to the wall or closest to a line on the back. He picks up all the pennies. Well, we played it with nickels. So I'm back there tossing the nickels, see. And all the other kids, the straight kids, like uh, Jack Morton and Joshua, are going on campaigning for president of the freshman class, and they're preparing for the prom. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner are back there tossing nickels, eating Twinkies hitchhiking, and of course there was this element of danger. I would say out of every five days, there was roughly one and a half days when you came damn close to not making it. I mean, like, you know, you knew you were going to, you, you almost making it. Well, I, the first day that I actually didn't make it, I remember the day very well. I'm out there hitchhiking, see, and it's now 8.10, and I'm looking, see, and there's only been two or three cars go by in the last half hour, see, it's 8.10. And uh, I know it's, I, I just had this feeling, I'm not going to make it this morning. You, you, you get that feeling in your gut, you know? Nicholas, Jack Nicholas says it too. Yes, yeah, so all great pros have this feeling. It's a, it's a sense you get. Yeah, Nicholas says, I have feelings when I know that I'm not going to play well. He says, I know it. I have feelings when I'm playing great. Well, a real professional hitchhiker knows, see, there are days when you know you're not going to get a ride. There are days when you know there's no problem, see? So it was one of those days. I was feeling, you know, it's bad news. And then all, 
almost all the other kids have been picked up. And now me and Schwartz are hitchhiking. Last two. It's now 20 after. Forget it, we're not going to make it. But you always hope for a miracle. Along comes this lady driving a black Plymouth. She picks us up, and it was one of those maddening kind of drivers, you know? 12 miles an hour. You know, with a wind behind her. We're sitting there. You know, she along. Well, you don't, you know, when you when you get the free ride, you don't say, for God's sake, step on it, lady, will you? You know? And she kept saying things like, oh, it's very nice. Oh, you're going to school. Isn't that nice? How do you like school? The Schwartz is going up the wall, you know? Well, we arrive. <laughs> we arrive in front of the school, and nobody's out there. Nobody. All the kids are in. Say, forget it. It's 8.40. We are late. Schwartz says, well, you going in? I said, not me, Schwartz. Because we had... See, Hammond High's Eichmann was a guy named Rupp. He, he worked right under the principal. He used to sit in there like a spider waiting for kids to come in that are late, you know. Just dissect them. So I said, I'm not going to talk to Rupp. And so we spent the afternoon at the Orpheum watching uh, watching Johnny Weissmuller movies. And, uh, you know, by mid-afternoon, we'd forgotten all about it. The next day, we were out hitchhiking again. Major, <laughs> this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Big Lester Smith on the news. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. For a middle-aged airplane hijacker tonight, it could be goodbye, Seattle, hello, Saigon. The gunman now has his $2 million ransom and the 15 gold bars that he demanded after capturing a United Airlines jet this afternoon. The plane was first in Reno, Nevada, when the skyjacker rode up to it on a bicycle, got on and announced he was in control. All the passengers and the stewardesses were released. The plane is still on the ground in Seattle, Washington, being refueled. The hijacker says he wants the money to aid Vietnamese children injured during the war. His demand for more weapons was refused by lawmen. In laying down its foreign policy planks today, the Republican Party platform pledged continued military and economic support for Israel. The platform also promised help for friendly Arab governments if they want to diminish their dependence on outside powers. The GOP also said that the Democratic presidential candidate's promise to cut military spending would increase the threat of war in the Mideast and would gravely menace Israel. Diplomatic sources in London said today that relations have worsened between the Soviet Union and Egypt. The Kremlin reportedly is still against Egypt's call for renewal of their friendship after the Cairo government bounced Soviet military advisors out of Egypt. President Nixon's foreign affairs advisor, Dr. Henry Kissinger, is now in Japan for talks with that government.